One of the greatest things about this conference is the connections that happen. And um, I want to tell you that about 10 years ago, I finished up a breakout session. I was talking about the work we do in the inner city of Memphis, Tennessee, with the poor, primary care work that we're doing. And the speaker that we're going to hear from, Dr. Jason, approached me after the talk. He told me that he had grown up in Middle Tennessee, went to Lipscomb in Nashville for undergraduate, East Tennessee for medical school, and that he was in Michigan doing a general surgery residency. And he asked me, did I think that it was possible that general surgery could be part of what we do in treating the poor in Memphis? I told him, Jason, I didn't know surgeons could be Christians. (laughs) Just jealousy. You know it's jealousy. He was persistent, um, and we began to think and pray about it, and largely through his leadership and one of his partners, a co-resident uh, that, that he was working with, they came to Memphis, and with the third surgeon, they began to deliver primary care surgery to people who couldn't get primary care surgery, people who had elective cases that were serious but couldn't get done because they lacked insurance. Not only that, Jason and his wife, Jamie, moved into the Orange Mound community, which is a tough low-income community. They became neighbors there. They participated in house church. And they began to pray with others in our Christian community in Memphis about going to a part of the world that is largely unreached, that a part of the world where there are many people groups without any access at all, no disciples at all. And so from that point that I told the story, there was a time where he had a card like you're going to have in your hand, and he came up on the stage and his wife with him, and they made a decision I want you to hear the story of what they're doing now, having finished two terms in this difficult part of Africa. Well, thank you so much for that warm introduction, Rick. Um, You should know uh, that the place, the seat that you're sitting in, actually, is not a safe place to be, but it is a good place to be. Like Rick alluded to, my wife and I sat in your seats for 10 years in a row during our medical school and residency years. And GMHC has been a huge part of our story. And it is such an honor to be standing up here speaking to you today. And I do not presume to fill the shoes of the people that have stood up here before me, Rick being one of those. Uh, But I do hope I can stand on their shoulders as we open the word and that God will move in your hearts uh, like he has through ours. It's been an amazing weekend Um, I hope you've been inspired and equipped and challenged. Um, But I want to take you now to a place 7,000 miles away from this auditorium. I want to take you to the place where we serve. You see, the place where we serve is filled with atrocities and rampant with the works of the enemy. Neighborhoods covered in smoldering garbage. Children walking barefoot in worm-infested manure, bodies ridden with disease, hearts and minds confused by demonic delusions. In the place we live in, I see people blinded by infections, corneal scars, cataracts. I see lame men walking on their hands, swinging their useless legs between their arms, old flip-flops, the only thing keeping their hands from becoming a bloody mess on the hot concrete. 
I walk across burning sand every day to get out to the road, and I hear the worry and the fear in people's voices when the rainy season is even a couple of weeks late. But listen, God says there is an age coming when the, these, these things will be no more. The lame man shall leap like a deer, the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. And the burning ground shall become a pool. But in the world you and I live in, teenage girls are forced into a financial transaction between two evil men. One of those men, the girl's father, who really wants money more than to maintain a daughter at her age. Another man who wants to buy another, yet another slave wife. Toddlers' baby teeth are brutally ripped from their gums in an attempt to treat bronchitis. Young girls are mutilated in a demonic ceremony, deceived by women they trust to think that this will make them into women. For every 88 kids that make us past five years old, we have 12 corpses to bury. But listen, God says there's an age coming when the young child shall lead the lamb and the lion together. And the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion together, and a little child shall lead them. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the viper's den. They will not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. But the world you and I live in is exactly what you would expect because of the age that we live in. In the age you and I live in, we see children who are so malnourished that we can see their intestines moving through their skin. A burned baby does not have enough milk from her mother's breast because that mother is made to fast for a month for fear of God's judgment. Tears flow freely, usually in secret so that the bearer does not seem faithless. Our demonic enemies spread the covering of reproach and death and destruction. But listen, God says there is an age coming when the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a piece of rich food and he will swallow up the covering that is spread over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. For the word of the Lord has spoken. last 24 years, I've learned to ask the question, what's it going to take? What's it going to take for us to put behind, behind us this age of atrocity and injustice and reproach ruled by the prince of the power of the air? What's it going to take for us to see the coming age of wholeness and joy and peace ruled by our great and loving King Jesus? In Matthew 24... Jesus takes his disciples' amazement at the temple and he uses it as a springboard to tell them that those buildings would actually be destroyed. His stunned disciples ask him, when will these things be? 
And what will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age? He gives them multiple signs as he intertwines the coming fall of Jerusalem as a metaphor for the coming end of the age. However, he finally answers their question and ours about the end of the age in verse 14. He says, This gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Of all the signs Jesus gives, this is the only one that he ends by saying, and then the end will come. So what's it going to take? Is it more money? Is it bigger, nicer hospitals? Better specialty care for more people? Jesus clearly tells us here. Jesus says it's going to take all the nations hearing the gospel of the kingdom. Now you may know the word nations here comes from the Greek word ethne, which is where we get our English word ethnic. Say ethne with me, ethne. It's the same word in Matthew 28, when Jesus' final command to us was to make disciples in every nation. It's the same as our concept today of people groups or ethnic groups. What's it going to take? Jesus says it's going to take all the nations hearing the gospel of the kingdom. About 40 years after Jesus said that, Peter reminded the church that this day of the Lord is coming. And in 2 Peter 3.12, he uses a rhetorical question to say how we ought to live knowing that this day is coming. He writes, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God? So not only do we know the prerequisite for the coming of the day of God, and the end of this age. Listen, the Holy Spirit says through Peter, you and I ought to be hastening this day. Now, I don't know any other way for us to hasten the coming of the day of God other than to take a literal reading of Matthew twenty four fourteen. So, if we want poverty and injustice and healthcare disparities to truly end for good, we speed the coming by making disciples in all the ethne. If we want atrocities and slavery and trafficking to finally end, we speed the coming by making disciples in all the ethne. If we want sickness and disability to truly end, we speed the coming by making disciples in all the ethne. That is how you are going to change the world. And so, while we as healthcare disciples are um, pursuing the love of Jesus by um, going after injustice and poverty and development, maternal mortality, human trafficking, a pandemic, primary care, surgical diseases, trauma, disabilities, we must also deal with the lack of disciples in the ethne. Because Jesus said none of those things would truly end until all the nations, all the ethne, hear the gospel of the kingdom. And we know from Revelation that process of hearing will produce disciples in all the ethne. And there are a hundred good things you can do to help hurting people. But there is one great thing that Jesus said would be the prerequisite for his coming. All the ethne hearing the gospel. You see, the critical issue of our time in healthcare missions, I believe, 
is actually not a lack of healthcare disciples to fill hospital slots. It is a lack of disciples in the ethne. Now, what's it going to take for us in healthcare missions to make disciples in all the ethne? I've discovered over the last 24 years that it's going to take transformation in three main areas. The perspective of Jesus, the paradigm of Jesus, and the people of Jesus. The perspective of Jesus on the ethne permeates all of Scripture. If you search your Bible for words like nations, families, Gentiles, you will discover an amazing thread that runs from Genesis to Revelation. I started discovering that thread all those years ago, and the deeper I went, the deeper it got. But today I'm going to focus in on one single life-altering passage from that thread that still drives me today. It's a scene from the future, and those in heaven praise Jesus for what he's accomplished. And they cry out, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for by your blood you ransom people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Amen? But today, in 2021, you and I face the tragedy that there are still ethne in which these people do not know that they were ransomed. And so until people in each of the ethne become disciples, the blood of our Lord and Jesus Savior, Lord and Savior Jesus Christ goes unfulfilled. And just as the still warm blood of Abel cried out to God from the ground, so too I believe the blood of Jesus cries out. And so too, just as the word of God is unstoppable and it will not return empty, so too the blood of Jesus will not return empty. His blood must be fulfilled in all the ethne. And so if we are asking, what's it going to take to make disciples in all the ethne, then we must be looking for those ethne which now have zero disciples. I call these groups Z-groups for short. So when you hear me say Z-groups, that means ethne, tribes and languages and peoples and nations, which currently have zero disciples. Now, you will not find the term Z-groups in the missiological literature And one reason for that is that most of missiology has been a little hung up on percentages for the last 50 years. That's where we got the 2% marker for unreached people groups, if you've heard of that. These percentages, uh, in general, came from sociological presumptions. You may have noticed that the Bible does not use percentages. Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like yeast. Jesus said the smallest possible start is enough for the kingdom of heaven. Now to clarify, I'm not just talking about lost people, sometimes called unreached people, no S on the end of that. Of course, hear me on this, every lost person desperately needs Jesus. But when we talk about just lost people, we are not talking about the distinction that the Bible makes between ethne. Lost people are in almost all of the 17,000 people groups worldwide. And if you've heard of UPGs, unreached people groups, sometimes called unreached peoples with an S on the end, I'm also not talking about unreached people groups. That is, again, a different concept based on that sociological threshold of 2%. Although all of the Z groups are considered unreached, all of the unreached people groups are not Z groups. In fact, there are around 5,000 
people groups who have at least some disciples who will be there with you and with me in Revelation 5-9 praising Jesus. But their people groups are still called unreached people groups because the numbers of disciples in those people groups have not yet reached that sociological threshold of 2%. However, the concept of Z groups is clearly in your Bible. And according to Jesus, it deserves our utmost attention. Matthew 24, 14. Today, there are still ethne that do not have disciples because the end of the age has not yet come. So there are still Z groups. Matthew 28, 19. Make disciples of all the nations, of all the ethne. Today, all ethne do not yet have disciples. So there are still Z groups. Romans 15, 15 to 21. Paul said, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named. That those who have not heard will hear and those who have not seen will understand. Today, there are still ethnic groups in which they have not heard. And so there are still Z groups. However, in Revelation chapters 5 and 7, we see that one day there will no longer be any Z groups. So you and I must be looking for these peoples. So how do we find them? At joshuaproject.net, you will find what I believe is one of the most complete out of a handful of available missions tracking platforms. And it has all kinds of ways that you can filter the data to find what you're looking for. It's easy to filter out the Z groups. You set the filters, zero evangelicals, zero Christians. But then you have to know that when a people from a given people group move to another country, or they, even if they change religions, Joshua Project counts them as a different people group. And that can really help in bringing the gospel to these groups and finding where they are. However, the political country a person lives in, or even their religion, are not biblical distinctions for ethne. So we have to account for those. When I sifted through all of that on Joshua Project, I found about 2,300 distinct ethne with zero disciples. So if a people group has any disciple anywhere in the world, regardless of country or religion, that group is not on this map. However, if a people group has zero known disciples anywhere in the world, then they are on this map. These are the Z groups. The vast majority are in Asia, many still left in North Africa, some in Russia, a handful left in Brazil where only authorized Brazilians are allowed to contact them. Now, this all sounds very exact, but remember this is based on human research. And we do not always know exactly what is going on in these remote corners of the earth. And it is a snapshot in time, a snapshot of a very dynamic situation. And you remember that Jesus taught us the wind blows where it wishes. And you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. And so it is with everyone who's born of the Spirit. And since the Holy Spirit is on the move as we speak here today, the number and even the location of these groups may likely be out of date. So I'm going to say there are 2,000 Z groups is our best estimate. This, I believe, is the perspective of Jesus. He wants disciples in each of these 2,000 Z groups before he returns and stops this age of atrocity. We must understand his perspective on the ethne and pursue these Z groups. So what else is it going to take? It's going to take the paradigm of Jesus. Most of us here, many of us here, are products of the Western healthcare paradigm. We were trained in the highest standards of Western healthcare. And for almost two centuries now, 
we've been sending our best and our brightest to the ends of the earth to export this Western healthcare paradigm to the developing world, delivered with the love and compassion of Christ. I have proudly learned from and worked at mission hospitals, and I have personally been the thankful recipient of excellent care at mission hospitals. We have welcomed hurting people into our clinics and hospitals and church buildings. We've relieved the suffering of millions in Jesus' name. And I want to be very clear on this. These are God-honoring things. Over the last 60 years, we've seen major shifts, I believe, for the positive in healthcare missions. But even with all of those crucial shifts, I do not believe that we in healthcare missions have yet made the final shift that it's going to take to make disciples in the final 2000 Z groups. That is the shift back to the paradigm of Jesus. So what is this paradigm of Jesus? We all know that Jesus uh, addressed both the spiritual and the physical in, in great love. But how did he do it? Where did he do it? With whom did he do it? He went to Peter and Andrew's house to heal Peter's suffering mother-in-law. He met the man who was paralyzed lower down through the dust in a house. He healed two blind men, then a man possessed by a mute demon in a house. He went to people wherever they were, and he did this in diverse places all over Judea, Samaria, and Galilee. Bear with me a second. In Luke 10, he directed his disciples, I believe including us, to go to the places he himself is about to go, to find a house of peace and to do the same. Remain in the same house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you, heal the sick in it, and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. In verse 17 of Luke 10, we see the outcome of this. This is completely frozen. And the 72 return with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And that same hour, he rejoiced in the Lord and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have revealed these things to the wise and understanding. I'm sorry, you have obscured them from the wise and understanding and have revealed them to little children. I'm just going to have to restart this, I think. Hmm. Father, I pray that you'd make this computer work. In Jesus' name. I need somebody to put the password in, if you don't mind. So wherever Jesus went, he, followed, he seems to have followed this paradigm. And we see it in Acts. In Acts, the early disciples met in homes. The early disciples would lead a whole household to follow Jesus together, not as individuals. Peter made disciples of Cornelius in his entire household. In Philippi, Paul and his team made disciples of Lydia in her household. Then the jailer in his household at night, you remember that? In Corinth, 
Paul and his team made disciples of a pagan named Justice in his whole household. And then next door, Crispus, the synagogue ruler in his whole household, also became disciples of Jesus. And then the whole household of Stephanus. It's almost always households. The Greek word in the Bible that is translated as households is oikos. Can you say that one with me? Oikos? Great. Tim and Rebecca Lewis were sent out disciples uh, first to India, I'm sorry, first to Morocco, then to India. And they are two of the most brilliant missiologists of our time, in my opinion. And they explain oikos like this. The whole household brought together by social and economic and relational connections. And the people extended from that. When they come together and the kingdom moves in those households, that household, that oikos, becomes the basic building block of God's kingdom on earth. Throughout the Bible, we see God coming to an entire household with health and healing and Jesus and salvation. Even in the Old Testament, we see the same paradigm. Why do it this way? This paradigm of Jesus in the oikos gives us time. It gives us time to listen to their struggles, to know their sufferings, to know what people are going through. It gives us time to share God's story with them in a way that they can understand who he is and why he had to die for them. This paradigm of Jesus is incarnational. In the same way that Jesus was born in a a cradle in the dirt, into our flesh, he walked our dusty streets, he entered our ramshackle homes. I believe Jesus now wants to move in the same way through us as his people. And so we literally cross the threshold with his spirit burning in our hearts. And we're able to speak his words through our mouth and feel his love through our heart and do his work through our hands. This paradigm of Jesus inherently forms the basis for new churches and for sustainable community health. You already have an oikos, a community, a family of people that respect and trust one another. Thank you. Can you give this guy a hand? But the question for us today is how can we apply this 21st century paradigm, this ancient paradigm, to 21st century healthcare missions today? It may sound like it could only work for certain types of providers. But I believe that these principles of Oikos Health could be applied by most healthcare specialties in most contexts. I believe the key is not the form, the key is the Oikos and Jesus coming to that Oikos. Of course, preventative health education, nutrition clinics, primary care, uh, wound care, most types of therapy can all be done in homes. But some healthcare disciplines and specialties may have to get creative to pursue the paradigm of Jesus in the oikos. Uh, burn care can often be done in homes once initial fluid losses are stabilized. Um, wound care certainly can be done in homes. Even surgeons of all types and OBGYNs can do post-op appointments in homes. Again, the key is not the form. The key is the oikos. 
Now, you may have to bring all your supplies with you. You may have to bring an instrument pack with you. You may even have to bring medications with you. You may be barred by government health officials from going to homes. You may have to justify them to them why you need to go to homes. You may still need a base out of a hospital or clinic to have legitimacy in the government's eyes. If you are barred by the government or by your own Christian hospital administration even from going to homes, you may need to undertake the process of making disciples among local health care providers or lay health workers. And this is a great thing, but we cannot disciple local providers in something that we do not value or pursue ourselves. The... already stopped. I might as well take a drink, right? (laughs) However inefficient it may be from a Western healthcare standpoint, however misunderstood from a traditional missions approach, however strange it may seem to a government health service, from a kingdom standpoint, this paradigm of Jesus is what gets you or your disciples and the kingdom of God that you bring near into households, into the oikos, into the Z groups. Hear me on this. I want to say this in love and grace to everyone here. But we must stop viewing numbers of patients seen, surgeries performed, babies delivered as markers of success. We must stop... We must stop getting off course by showing our colleagues and supporters how busy we have been. We must stop divorcing Jesus and his commission to make disciples from what we call healthcare missions. In 2021, just because something is called missions does not always mean it has anything to do with Jesus and his mission to make disciples. We must rediscover Jesus' gold standard for healthcare missions effectiveness, disciples in all the ethne. Now, Oikos Health is not a formula. It's a matter of putting up our sails. It's a matter of being ready for the Holy Spirit to move. It's a matter of going where Jesus himself is about to go. The Holy Spirit is moving all over the world. We partner with God by putting up the sails. The sails are not up. The boat may still move a little when the wind of the Spirit blows especially hard. But when we put the sails up by pursuing the paradigm of Jesus in the oikos, that is when the Spirit blows This kingdom spreads into those households and throughout the Z group. We try to follow this paradigm where we serve in the Sahel in Africa. I'm going to try this one more time so you can see these pictures, I hope. We have 15 Z groups in our immediate area. The local people are all Muslims. Their ethne have been Muslims for 400 years. We work side by side with a woman I'll call Bashada, who's been following Jesus now for about three years. My wife and another expat disciple in Bashada led two women from Bashada's oikos to follow Jesus as their savior of the last two years through grassroots health education and oral Bible study. These three disciples of Jesus have already been sharing the word of God orally with whoever will listen to them. 
Bishara cannot read, but she is mastering the paradigm of Jesus for Oikos health and making disciples. Thank you, Father, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to a woman who cannot read. A few months ago, Bashara's father-in-law died. Funerals where we live are a three-day event. And one of Bashara's cousins came. I'll call her Artifa. Artifa brought her 18-month-old daughter, whom I'll call Sara, four hours by donkey, hoping to get her some help. Artifa's husband, who was also her first cousin, died not long after Sara was born. Little Sara had been having what seemed like frequent skin infections. When my wife and I saw her, she looked like this. Redness and what appeared clinically to be staph infections, but only on sun-exposed areas. What appeared to be freckles, lots of freckles on sun-exposed areas. Our people there virtually never have freckles and rarely get sunburns, even the children. We treated the infection, but the freckles and redness remained. Now, I'm not a dermatologist or a geneticist, but with freckles and frequent sunburns and an 18-month-old from a close family marriage, we were suspicious that Sada may have a genetic disorder called xeroderma pigmentosum, XP for short, in which the body cannot repair DNA damaged by sunlight. On our next visit, we brought sunblock and an umbrella, but I knew that if this little girl had XP, none of our human efforts were really going to make a difference in the long run in our intense sun. From an earthly perspective, if this little girl has XP, she is certain to die of skin cancer. We explained all of this to her mom, Artifa, in basic terms, but that the underlying condition would never resolve unless God healed her. By this time, about ten other women from their oikos had come to listen and see what was going on. We asked Artifa if we could pray in Jesus' name for Sara to be healed, and she said yes. As we kept praying, and as I imagined the slow, painful death this little girl would die without God's miraculous touch, big tears started rolling down my cheeks. And we did not see Sara healed right away that day. But after my wife and I uh, finished praying and packed up our things, we left. But the next day, Bishada told my wife what happened next. After we left, the other ladies asked Bishada who we were and why we cared so much for this woman and her baby. Bishada told them that we were trying to follow Jesus. And then, starting with creation, she told them the entire story of Jesus and his great love for them that led him to the cross and that they could follow him too. Some of them wanted Bishada to come back to their villages and tell them more. Remember, these are all Muslims. Their people groups have been Muslims for 400 years. And I believe none of that would have happened if I had just seen little Sada in a clinic. I would have had maybe 10 minutes to prescribe some antibiotics, maybe scrounge up some sunblock and spit out a quick prayer. Seeing how it all unfolded inspired Bishada to do more. She and her two Oikos disciples now go to outlying villages every weekend, and they share these health concepts and these stories of Jesus. Some of the people that they are encountering on these trips are from Z groups that we did not even have on our radar. So not only is it going to take the perspective of Jesus, understanding ethne, finding and pursuing the Z groups, it's also going to take the paradigm of Jesus. Finding a way to focus on the oikos and introducing health and healing and Jesus to entire households together. But it's also going to take us 
the people of Jesus. And just like Jesus may not uh, may need to purify your perspective to be like his, and he may need to purify your paradigm to be more like his, if you're anything like me, he's also going to need to purify you personally to be more like him. Early in undergrad is when I first heard of medical missions, and I felt like doing anything else with my life would just leave me unfulfilled. I married an awesome woman who's a nurse and who's also resolved to do missions. I went to medical school thinking I might go into family medicine because I thought that's what you had to do to go into medical missions. That's, that's not true. However, I found that I love surgery and caring for trauma patients, and so I pursued a residency in general surgery. And along the way, God kept refining our call from healthcare missions in general to unreached people groups and then to Muslim Z groups. But then something happened in my last year of surgery residency. We did a training called TOAG, whose founder, Nathan Jeem, is here this weekend. And we started learning how God is bringing whole families, whole villages, even whole tribes to follow Jesus all over the world. Then in 2011, my first year in practice in Memphis, we became part of a little house church network there that was sending disciples to unreached people groups and to Z groups. And there was a team of disciples forming to go to Sahel. And it sounded perfect. 15 Z groups, incredible health needs, a team to do it all with. But I wasn't sure how general surgery, which I had trained in and practiced for seven years at that point, fit into all of that. You see, doing surgery in that place would require creating and sustaining a decent hospital and surgical program. And I knew that this would take 150% of my time, likely preventing me from making disciples in those 15 Z groups. And then one day in 2012, I was sitting at our kitchen table with Dr. Charles Fielding. He wrote a book called Preach and Heal. He's a family medicine doctor, and he would never admit it, but I believe he's another one of the most brilliant missiologists of our time. And he told me the story of when they first went to South Central Asia, and they tried and tried to use health strategies to reach out to the people. But they kept running up against all kinds of barriers that made it seem impossible, And he said he finally came to the point of crying out to God, asking why he had brought them so far, his wife and his two little kids, only to meet with what seemed like failure. And he said God said to him, Chuck, you've got to lay it down at the feet of Jesus. And Chuck said when he finally came to the point of being able to lay down medicine, potentially, and his status as a doctor, down at the feet of Jesus, that was when they started to see breakthrough among the people. And they started to be able to use health in different ways to reach into households. And eventually, there were Muslim background disciples and churches in those remote mountains. And there at my kitchen table, Chuck said to me, Jason, surgery may be something that God is asking you to lay down at the feet of Jesus. And I think that was a way of saying, Jason, allow the Holy Spirit to move in your life, regardless of what you expected regardless of what you planned, regardless what it costs. Now, this was not how I had imagined my healthcare missions career would unfold. And I kept mulling over what Chuck said for weeks, and I kept mulling over all that we had learned over the prior three years about what God is doing among the ethne through movements of disciples and house churches. And something in me changed. See, for many years I have been asking the question, God, what is your will for my life? It's the question that drives some of you. It's the question that may have brought you here. And what I meant by this was, 
God, what is your special will for my life? And if I'm completely honest with myself and with you, what I really meant by that was, hey God, kind of a big deal. I became a doctor and a surgeon for this, and I really need a special will from you if I'm going to do something like this. But I eventually came to my senses and I realized, why would he call me to a place without Z groups when I now saw his perspective for all the ethne? And why would he make disciples in Z groups differently through me than he was doing all over the world through his paradigm of the Oikos? He wouldn't. He was inviting me to join him in what he is doing in the world. Not the way I had always thought I would do it. Not necessarily as a surgeon seeing hundreds of patients every month. I might still do surgery, but it would take a back seat to making disciples in Z groups. Steve Smith, who was a sent-out disciple in Asia with his family, said it this way. He said, ask not, what is God's will for my life? Rather, ask, what is God's will, his purpose in this generation, and how can my life best contribute to it? When I gathered everything that I learned, trying to answer this question, what is God doing in this generation? When I realized where the Z groups are, and how relatively few there are left, and how God is reaching through the oikos. Listen, I discovered what God is doing in this generation. He is finishing the task. Amen? And so we committed to this team, realizing that it would likely involve me not doing a lot of surgery, and instead doing lots of grassroots health education, sitting on plastic woven mats with Muslim men, drinking smoky tea, telling Bible stories, treating and praying for their sick in their homes. And so we set our faces toward that. And then on March 6, 2014, I had a clinic day, still working as a surgeon in Memphis. I started interviewing my first patient, and the next thing I knew, I was waking up on the floor. And two of the family docs in our clinic, one of whom I think is here, told me that I had had a seizure. I didn't believe them. At the age of 34, I had never had a known seizure in my life. Our church mobilized to pray for my healing, that it wasn't one of the problems that often cause seizures in a 34-year-old for the first time, tumors, aneurysms. Thank the Lord the scans were clear, and I was able to restart work uh, in a couple of weeks. I could not operate independently for three months, and I could do scopes and assist my partners with their surgeries. It was crushing. It brought up all kinds of questions. What does this mean, God? Is this going to keep happening? God, do we still go to the Sahel with this team? Almost exactly one month after that seizure, I had one of those days. Terrible day. I was assisting one of my partners with an adult circumcision because it was a patient I had scheduled and she didn't otherwise do that procedure. Our scrub tech that day was known for being tough and sassy. It took us several tries to get the markings just right before we made the incisions. And all of a sudden the scrub tech says to us, you just going to play with that thing all day? She did not mean it nicely. She wanted us to get moving. And for the first time ever, I asked for another scrub tech. Right or wrong, I asked for another scrub tech. I had never done that before or since. The case went fine, and I headed back to clinic to work on paperwork. Not long after I got back, one of our nurses got on the intercom and said a doctor was needed urgently. I got up to see what was wrong, and there in the floor was a woman having a seizure. Not 10 feet from where I had had that seizure about a month prior. There were other doctors there, uh, so I left. It was more than I could take. I actually went in the bathroom 
and locked myself in there and cried for about 15 minutes. And once I could maintain my composure, I went outside and cried some more. But I could feel Jesus sitting next to me. It's a feeling I've come to know many times since then, on and off the field. Jesus was there with me. That night at home, there was a severe thunderstorm. You know those that the thunder is so loud that it jars and shakes your house. And I woke up from that about 3 a.m. And as I lay in bed, I could not stop replaying the awful events of the day. It felt like accusations. Finally, I prayed, Jesus, you've got to make this stop. Immediately, I saw this vision or dream. I don't know what to call it. I was half awake. But I saw Jesus and myself and my wife and our kids And we were all meeting him. And he knelt down and said hi to each of my kids by name. Then to my wife and me. Gave us all hugs. Then something crazy started happening. happening. His clothing and our clothing turned bright white. And we all started flying up into the air together. Fast. So fast that I was terrified. But I looked around. And my kids are flipping around in the air doing tricks. Saying, hey dad, watch this. And even as the kids were having such a good time, Jesus had us on a mission because we were still going very fast in one very focused direction. Imagine when you look out the window on an airplane 30,000 feet up. That's what it felt like. I looked over at my wife as we were flying. She had her eyes closed, big grin on her face, arms spread out wide. Jesus had a big grin on his face too. And he looked over at me and said, hey, I want to show you something. Just then... Thousands of people from the country we now serve in came flying up all around us. They were all dressed in white just like we were. They had big grins on their faces just like we did. Some of them laughing. Their kids are spinning in the air doing tricks. Then all of this went away and he let me know that these were encouragements for me in this time. These were things that he was reminding me of from his word that he promised he will do and that he will do through us and through our supporters and our teammates. Now, I want to be very clear here. You do not need a dream like that to obey what Jesus said to do in Scripture. However, I do believe there's a message for you in that vision as well. Through whatever your hang-ups and fears are, when you see the wind and the waves all around you, when the enemy tells you you're an imposter, you're not good enough, you're not smart enough, you're not the right person for this, stick with Jesus. Allow his spirit to move in your life. The spirit of almighty God. Do you understand this? The spirit of almighty God dwells inside you. He will be with you. He will empower you. He will give you the gates of your demonic enemies. He will make you a blessing to the nations. And he will do his work through you just like he has through us. And he will empower you to set your face toward that. We the people of Jesus have one priority period, everything else, Western medical standards, development goals, the perpetuation of our health institution, everything else is second to that one single all-consuming priority of making disciples in all the ethne. We must be determined to make disciples. Our zeal must be for the Z groups. Our ambition must be the Great Commission, not by our own might, not by our own power, but by his spirit. And we must set our faces toward this. Luke 9.51, when the days drew near for Jesus to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. In the power of the Spirit and with immense love, 
He set his face. He knew what was going to happen there. He knew the suffering he would go through. He knew the pain he would go through. But he set his face to die for you and for me and for the ethne. We must set our faces in the power of the Spirit, in his way of love, to see his blood fulfilled among the ethne. We must sacrifice ourselves to do whatever it takes so that he can have disciples in all the ethne. Not by our own might, not by our own power, but by his spirit. So, what's it going to take? What's it going to take for us here in healthcare missions to join God in ending this age of atrocity? It's going to take seeing the perspective of Jesus. Saying, I'll go anywhere, going to work with established churches, even going to, quote, unreached people groups has been a start, a great start. But we will not finish the task until we see Jesus' perspective of the ethne, and specifically of the Z groups, the ethne with no disciples. What's it going to take? It's going to take pursuing the paradigm of Jesus. The Western healthcare paradigm has been a start, a great start. But we will not make disciples in every remaining Z group until we pursue Jesus' paradigm of the oikos. What else is it going to take? It's going to take us setting our faces to be the people of Jesus. Saying we're kind of interested in missions or saying that we'll go if God checks off our laundry list of conditions has been a start. It's been a great start. That's how most of us got our start. But we will not finish the task until we set our faces to be the people of Jesus. Truly willing to sacrifice everything in our lives to do whatever it takes for Jesus to have disciples in all the ethne. I'd like to ask you to stand with me. And I want to declare... Jesus, may your blood be fulfilled and may there be disciples in all the ethne. Jesus, our great King, may you take your rightful throne over the earth when there are disciples in all the ethne. May blind eyes be opened and deaf ears unstopped and lame legs leap like a deer when there are, say it with me, disciples in all the ethne. May children have peace from the wolves of this world. May babies be free from the cobras of this world. May toddlers be free from the vipers of this world. When there are, say it with me, disciples in all the ethne. May the Lord of hosts prepare his banquet for all peoples. And may the covering of death and reproach be fully removed. And may he wipe tears away from all faces. When there are, say it with me, disciples in all the ethne. The time has come for you to make a choice. You know too much now to do nothing, to equivocate, to sit on the fence. Today, you either take a step on a trajectory that will contribute to making disciples in one or more Z groups, or you remain on the same trajectory, something safer, something more accepted, something less costly. And you don't have to go to any booth or office to sign up for this. You sign up for this today, right here, with Jesus in your heart. But I did not say that setting your face on this trajectory would be easy. 
Jesus said in Luke 9, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Luke 10, Jesus said, I'm sending you out as lambs among wolves. Luke 14, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Count the cost. Your kids will have nightmares about the gunshots outside your house. Friends are going to be hard to come by. You won't know when that knock on the door will come, the police calling you in for questioning. You will be misunderstood, disparaged, and dismissed, even by friends, even by Christians, even by others in healthcare missions. They will say things like, people groups is an outdated concept. I know you're not really concerned about the healthcare side of things. Why would he waste his medical and surgical training like that? Because they will not understand what you have set your face toward. Because they do not grasp the commission of Jesus. Because they do not comprehend what it truly means to be the people of Jesus. The people did not receive Jesus because his face was set toward Jerusalem. Because they did not fully understand what he had set his face toward. Jesus never said this trajectory would be easy. But Jesus himself... He is with you always to the end of the age. He will not leave you or forsake you. Jesus will be there with you by your side, just like he was there by my side that day. Do not be afraid. All over the world, there's a rising tide of disciples who are making their lives count by accepting God's invitation to join him in this generation. A rising tide of disciples who are changing the world by making disciples in the Z groups and in the ethne. A rising tide of disciples who are setting their faces toward what Jesus set his face toward. If you've counted the cost, you can join us and God in this movement right here, right now. It could start today with a small, simple step of obedience. At GMHC, we talk about different aspects of this. And they're printed on the back of your card here. Pray, learn, Support. Go. To pray, some of you might commit 40 days to asking Father to show you his heart for the ethne and how your life can best contribute to what he is doing in this generation. Others might choose a specific Z group to commit to pray for. Others might form a group with two or three others to pray together as you join Jesus toward the ethne. To learn, some of you in high school might commit to research which universities Offer languages in Hindi or Urdu or Bengali or Nepali. Some of you might commit to search the scriptures for the thread of the Z groups. Or pour over Joshua Project to learn more about Z groups. Pour over the medicalmissions.com website. To support, some of you might commit to reach out in love to overseas workers, to missionaries whom you might know. Others of you might commit to give sacrificially so that others can make disciples in the ethne. Or maybe... If you're ready, some of you might make a commitment today to go to one of the Z groups. What will be your next step to set your face towards seeing his blood fulfilled among the ethne? When you've decided what your next step will be, write it on your card. You don't have to fill out all four columns, but you can if you want. What will your next step be? 
Like Will said on the other side, write your mailing address, Number Street, City State, Zip Code. Because we are going to mail this card back to you after a time to remind you of the commitment you make here today. Then bring your card up on the stage. There's a big prayer rug, big map rug. And put it on this map to signify you taking that first step of obedience toward what God is asking you to do. If God is putting a specific place on your heart, put your card on that specific place. The time has come for you to make a choice. You know too much now to do nothing. Make your life count. Father, I pray for these brothers and sisters and for myself. Father, I pray that you guard our hearts from the enemy. Guard our hearts from fear. Guard our hearts from the cares of this world. Pray that you show us your perspective. Give each of us a passion and love for the remaining Z groups. Father, I pray that you teach us your paradigm to pursue the oikos. Father, above all, I pray that you help us to be your people. Give us your strength and your courage to set our faces like Jesus did. And be willing to sacrifice whatever it takes to join you in making disciples in all the ethne, in the power of your spirit. Thank you, Father, that you are always with us. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.